Hey, oh, hey, can you hear me? I can't hear me, so that's kind of, yeah, well, that's good, actually. <laughs> so, uh, so for those of you uh, who I have never met, I'm so glad to be here with my Woodlawn family this morning. It is an honor to be with you. It is. It's, I just love coming back and seeing folks, and I, we've been praying for you. Uh, and throughout this year, God has been doing some pretty cool things uh, that I've seen through you and through this church. And so I'm grateful and honored to be here with you this morning. Isn't it good to know that God is here, amen? He's here. He is absolutely here. He wants to speak to us. He wants to move us. He wants to empower us because guess what? It fulfills a bigger purpose. He wants others to know about him. He wants us to be empowered to bring his message of salvation and love to people who do not yet know him. Our neighbors, our families, our co-workers, all throughout our cities and our nations. He has a big vision for this world. But here's the deal. God's message isn't just for them. It isn't just for people outside our doors. God's message is actually for us as well. So uh, because God's message is for us, I think it's pretty important to have a posture towards God. Toward, do I need to step back? Is that going to be helpful, Joe? What would be better for you? That way I'm not blasting people away. Sorry if you folks are online and like, man, they just can't get it together right now. I can't get it together because I'm stepping too far forward. I know. I, I'm a work in progress, okay? That's what we're all about, you know? We're works in progress. But God's message is specifically even for us. And so we have to have this posture that is bent towards hearing God. So lean in a little. Lean in and to receive. Because I think that one of the things that we have a hard time doing is we, we think that because we, we don't necessarily uh, have this bent towards hearing God. We don't necessarily receive from him. We think we're bothering God when we ask for him and we for, when we ask for things from him. And, and so here's the deal. I'm expectant for our time together today. I know God wants to stir something in each one of our hearts that will bear fruit for his kingdom. So I hope that you are expecting as well. Grab a pen, grab a pen, paper, whatever, grab your smartphone, because God may entrust a word to you. And God's word says that where his word goes out, it will not return back void. And so don't let it return void, y'all. Get, get some paper out and do uh, the smartphone thing, because when God speaks a word and specifically says something to you, he may entrust you with that. That so that it bears fruit this week. And I believe God will do that. And so let's speak a word and ask God for the wisdom and insight that only he can bring. As his children, he wants to impart great gifts to us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much. We know that you are good. You, you know our innermost being. And as your children, we humbly ask that the wisdom and the insight that you're going to help us to have will help us to live out the mission that you call for us, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. We, we humbly ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, two weeks ago, I was hanging out with my son Isaac. And I told him I was going to tell this story, so y'all don't think I'm just telling on him or anything, but uh, it's actually a good thing. Uh, but uh, So we're sitting there, uh, and he's off for summer break. And so Isaac and I are at home, and I'm home with the baby. And, uh, you know, during summer break, it's, it's like 
you could do whatever, right? You go outside, you can play, you can, you know, watch TV. And, no, not really. But anyway, you can do all these things that you normally couldn't do on a school day. Well, this morning was one of those mornings where he's sitting there, and he looks outside, and it is raining cats and dogs. And that is one of the worst things for a little six-year-old boy who's pretty interesting, kind of like his mama. Uh, but he's interesting in that he wants to go out there. It's like it's holding him back from getting to go out there and play. And I, being the positive influence as the dads happen to be, I look, <laughs> I look outside and I say, well, this is an interesting morning, buddy. It's raining super hard, but you know what's cool? The sun is also shining. That's really neat. And I thought, Man, I was so proud of myself for thinking how I can put a positive spin on this thing, right? Uh, but so, so he looks at me and says, Daddy, it's sunny and it's raining. That means there's going to be a rainbow. I was like, buddy, you know, that may be true, but we're really not at the right perspective to see a rainbow. You know, talking six-year-old speak, right? I've got to talk really high education. No, I'm just kidding. This seminary's not really doing me any good. Anyway, <laughs> but I'm like, buddy, we're just not at the right angle to be able to see the rainbow. And I just, I kind of squelched that, you know? And I was like, and, and, and that's when the Lord just tapped on my heart a little bit. He said, Brian, just because you don't see the rainbow doesn't mean it's not there. And you know, God spoke through my son, and I was convicted, y'all. I, I was like, man, out of the mouth of babes. You see, I thought I was teaching Isaac a positive perspective, right? That I was kind of, he was gleaning from my all-knowing wisdom, right? <laughs> and I shut down his idea that a rainbow existed, right? And that the conditions were right. See, my perspective was trying to look on the bright side of the situation. However, Isaac's, his perspective, his outlook, it wasn't only positive, but it was intentional. It was hopeful. So intentional that I bet if I said, hey, buddy, let's get in the car and go looking for that rainbow that you know exists. You see, it's a matter of perspective. It's all about perspective. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Woodlawn's going to be taking a look at the, the book of Philippians and Paul's letter to the Philippians and what that means for the perspective that we allow ourselves to be framed with. See, there's something interesting about how our decisions are framed by our perspective, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, think about it. If you have this perspective that is framed out of fear, the decisions that we make, they're going to tend to, to be more reactionary. We're going to act out of reactions, right? Or they're going to be more like protective. Uh, and, and so when our perspective is, is, is framed in fear, that's kind of how our decisions are made. Or when our perspective is framed with compassion, when we see folks who are in need, when we allow ourselves and we choose the perspective of compassion, whatever we do and God calls us to do to help, it's framed in a much bigger way. If I'm honest, sometimes my perspective, it needs to be reframed, y'all. <laughs> this idea of reframing perspective, is, it, it's not an easy one either. There are all kinds of obstacles that are going to get up in the way. There's things like short-sightedness, right? Like we just can't see the big picture. We see what we're in the middle of. Or maybe even an obstacle of trauma. Our circumstances, something has just been so hard. We can't possibly see the forest for the trees. Or maybe it's insecurity. We can't imagine that our perspective will ever change or our outcomes will ever be different. 
in the difficulty that is surrounding us. The list could go on and on, but the way we frame our perspective, it, can, it has the opportunity to actually leave us upset, depressed, or even lead to an outlook of hopelessness, and that's not the people we're called to be. See, we want to believe that God can make good out of anything, right? That's what we want to do, but, but, but what happens to be our default perspective? I mean, oftentimes, we just try to cope with the things that are around us, right? Kind of cope with positive thinking. Like, I think about this idea of, of, you know, life is what you make it. I've heard that statement so often, and I've said it so often. Life is what you make it. But I'm not convinced. Honestly, that doesn't doesn't console me during times of grief. Life is what you make it. Because I think it lacks an eternal hope. It lacks eternal perspective. And God wants to do something so much bigger in our lives. Besides, you know, it, it kind of rests on what we do, doesn't it? Life is what you make it. It's let, let I make it. See, what happens, though, when our circumstances are so hard and the people, or maybe somebody else does something to us that's so difficult that we have a hard time, we can't even get out of that. We can't, we just, there's no hope, right? You see, I believe that we need an eternal hope and an eternal perspective that puts our reliance solely upon the God of the miraculous. He can work miracles. And and this is where we will pray and we will seek his will for our lives and we will do whatever it takes to follow him no matter what. So how do we position ourselves to be followers of Christ who don't necessarily deny our circumstances, but instead surrenders our circumstances with the hopefulness that no matter what, God is on the throne, that he is still in charge, and he still cares for you. How do we do that? Well, I think that's where the apostle Paul found himself many times over. And yes, he could have gotten bogged down in the mindset of his circumstances and that everything revolved around his circumstances and his hardships. But somehow, Paul had a much larger perspective Now, remember, Paul was this guy who went around persecuting Christians in order to squelch this heretical uprising called the way, uh, the Christians uh, of the early church. But then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul, he went from being a fear-based persecutor to being a self-sacrificing servant of Christ. So what perspective of Paul shifted that he was able to not only endure persecution, but also thrive? I mean, how, how did he do that without running away in fear? We're going to take a look at more of Philippians chapter 1. In your bulletin, uh, this sets us up a little bit. So I, I implore you, go back and look at Philippians chapter 1 in that big block of Scripture. That's going to set you up to know kind of where we're going with this. We'll talk a little bit about it, but we won't read it. For, well, is it on the screen? No, it's not? Okay, just kidding. All right, so, hey, it's there. Look, so there you go. I thank my God every time. Uh, I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. See, Paul is writing to the Philippians as a response 
to their gift. Now, here's the deal. It's probably a financial gift uh, that, that the Philippians sent to him in order uh, to help Paul while he's imprisoned. And so throughout Philippians, Paul talks about two main things, endurance and unity. And in 1.3, we saw Paul says that he prays with joy because the Philippians have shared in the gospel from the first day until now. They've been there at the beginning, and they're continuing. So he goes on to say, all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. So here's the question. So why does Paul share that Philippian, to the Philippians uh, that, that they share in his grace in his imprisonment? That's kind of weird, right? Like they're not technically in the prison with Paul, are they? Well, what he's saying is back in those days, it was actually shameful to know anyone or be associated with anyone in prison. And so what the Philippians, by sending this financial gift, they were actually saying, no, we endorse you, Paul. We're there. We're on board with what the message is that you're bringing, and we share in this with you. So it's a pretty cool thing where Paul got joy, and they were enduring the shame along with Paul. And they, so they have this unity with Paul, okay? So, so why, would they, why would Paul talk about unity and sufferings and unity otherwise? Well, it seems like even in Paul's day, there were disagreements in the church leadership in the young house churches of Philippi. Uh, there were some disagreements. And more than likely, the Philippians had already experienced some pretty bad hardships and persecution, but there was more to come. So Paul uses this call for unity as the means by which the Philippians are to endure and persevere. He's basically saying, friends, co-workers in the gospel, if you're not unified, if you are not together in this, the hardships you face, the frustrations that you're going to have, the obstacles that are going to get in the way, they're going to be too much for you. So Paul calls for unity. And since Paul is writing this letter from prison, we have to ask ourselves, how does, how does Paul seem to have not just an, a positive attitude, right? I mean, it's positive, but there's something further. How does, how does he have such a resilient attitude? I think Paul knew something that I think we all should know. Paul knew that there's power in perspective. There's a power in perspective. Paul could have, he could have chosen his perspective where he could be weighed down by the obstacles and by the imprisonments and stuff. I mean, have you done this? I mean, I know I have. I mean, I, have you ever been overwhelmed by your circumstances so much that all seems hopeless? Yeah, we've been there. See, we've all wanted to escape this bad stuff in our lives, and we've all fallen into this trap of escapism. And that's where you say, you know what? Our hurts are just so much. I'm going to get up and leave. I just want to get away. See, the resiliency with which Paul was writing, he lets us know that there's a much bigger perspective. There's a much more powerful perspective. See, even though he's in prison, Paul actually finds something that helps him to actually have a powerful perspective of joy. It's almost as if God reaches out to Paul through the Philippians because of this financial gift or this encouragement that Paul has received from them. And instead of giving up because of his circumstances, he, Paul actually positions himself to look at his circumstances and actually choose to believe that those negative things, they will not, will not define his life. So how does Paul choose the powerful perspective of joy? I think I've got three things for you. So if you're following along in your outline, Check it out. This is Paul's resiliency during his commitment. How does he do that? Well, number one is this. Paul knew that our circumstances shouldn't determine our perspective. Now, 
This is interesting because you can read this, and, but look at the emphasis on shouldn't. Our circumstances shouldn't determine our perspective. Paul says in verse 12, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. Where are you at right now? It's helped. See, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's the lens through which Paul looks at his circumstances. And you know what that lens is? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, talk about a powerful perspective, right? The gospel. But you know what it's not? You know what this perspective is not? It's not escapism. You know, if we're honest, this is the reaction we tend to have. I mean, we, we would do anything and everything we could to avoid pain and discomfort and suffering, right? I would. I, I don't like it. But Paul is saying that his present discomfort and his affliction, it's actually is serving a huge purpose. That he's refusing to allow his situation to have the final say-so. Paul is actually opening his eyes to seeing the advancement of God's kingdom through his circumstances. Now, notice I didn't say in spite of his circumstances, okay? There's a difference. Paul saw the advancement of God's kingdom through his circumstances, and there is power in this perspective. So our circumstances, they shouldn't determine our perspective. Number two is this, our perspective, it determines our outlook. See, Paul continues in verse 13. They know the gospel or are preaching the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul is refusing to let his circumstances define his perspective. But then he goes to another level. He says, you know those prison guards that are supposed to keep me under lock and key? They know why I'm here. <laughs> Even they know that I'm in here for Jesus. Paul's outlook is, is not only resilient. Paul's outlook, it's determined to see that his situation is being used for Christ. It is proactive. Paul has framed his outlook so that, that he becomes defiant against the hopelessness that could set in. And I just have to think that the reason that Paul was able to, to choose that perspective of joy is because he realized that there's power in the perspective that he chose. The same is true for us. There's power in the perspective we choose. So our circumstances shouldn't determine our perspective. Our perspective, it determines our outlook. And number three, this. Our outlook determines our life story. Our outlook determines our life story. Verse 14 says, And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, Dare to speak the word. How? With greater boldness and without fear. See, Paul's resiliency and courage, it told a story. It told his story. And his joy, it actually served a purpose for other believers. It's not that he was trying to play games or that he was trying to, you know, uh, put on a mask on his circumstances. No, they're much better. No, actually, he wasn't trying to escape. He was... He was not going to allow his circumstances to define the outcome. See, Paul's perspective is that, is that his situation is communicating something to other believers and those who are not yet believers. It's like he was helping believers realize there's a purpose in the pain. There's a reason to not only endure hardship, there's a reason to thrive. Something bigger is at stake than Paul's life. He knows that. He believes that, and he lives it. What a faith. 
I mean, that's the kind of gospel I want to believe in, y'all. I want to be able to share the story of the gospel without regard for discomfort or without regard for safety, even. (laughs) That's a gospel worth believing in. So Paul's outlook had an effect on the story his life told. And his resiliency, it connected his Christ experience and saving grace of Jesus Christ with the followers that were around him. So our circumstances shouldn't determine our perspective. Our perspective, it determines our outlook. And our outlook determines the story our life tells. There's power in perspective. So how do we? How do we do this? How, how like Paul, do we choose the joy perspective? I got three action steps for you. You ready? Number one is this. Draw near to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. <laughs> that seems so simple, but... It, but it, it, here's the deal. Paul didn't just rely on himself through his circumstances, right? He, had, he, he didn't just rely on himself to keep that perspective of joy going. He had a real encounter with the risen Savior, and same is true for us. Now, I'm not just talking about your initial conversion experience where you said yes to Jesus for the very first time. That's absolutely important. That's the cornerstone by which we can look back and see where God is at work. But I actually, conversion is not the ending, y'all, when we draw near to Jesus. One of my favorite passages uh, is James 4, 8, and it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. See, as we reframe our perspective toward trusting God and believing in his will for our lives, we can actually be sure that God draws near to us. This is amazing to me, that shifting our perspective And shifting our posture towards God moves God. How powerful is that? See, our drawing near to God, it's the beginning of the shift in our perspective. The other day I was coming down, uh, we were flying down from Lexington, and uh, it was raining. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting in the, the, the airport, seeing the rain going all around me, and I'm like, wow, man. I hope we don't get delayed. I mean, that's, you know, but who knew? Planes can fly and rain. <laughs> you know, it can happen. But I, I, we, got, we boarded the plane, and uh, we get there, we get seated, and it's about, you know, 20 minutes or so, uh, 20 minutes or so before we get ready to take off. It's still raining and still gloomy, and I was just tempted to think, man, does the sun even exist? <laughs> yeah, we've had a couple of those days here, haven't we? <laughs> you know, as we took off and we... We flew up into the sky and we broke through the clouds. The, shine, the sun shone brilliantly as if nothing, nothing would ever stop it from shining. See, the, here, here's the deal. I think it's good for, for us to remember, no matter what, the sun is still on the throne. Where are you now? Do you recognize Jesus is still Lord despite your circumstances? Reframe your perspective. There's power See, draw near in times of trials. Now, I'm not necessarily saying only draw near during these times. Rather, I'm saying reframe your perspective so that these trials that you see, you don't see the trials, you see the opportunity. Draw on the deep well of the Heavenly Father's love and trust Him more and more and more. Our powerful perspective of joy, it begins when we draw near to Jesus, but it continues as number two as we choose joy during hardship. See, as Paul was doing when he was writing Philippians, he he drew on the joy that was available to him 
through his relationship with God. He was joyously resilient because God had changed his perspective and empowered him with a new outlook. Specifically, God gave Paul joy through the Philippians. You know, that's, that's what we have to do. For us, it may mean that we have to be very intentional about searching for God. That actually, we are very intentional about seeking glimpses of our Savior. We have to look. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the turmoil, don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Don't lose hope. God is there. So we need to call on the Holy Spirit and His power to, to motivate us and move us to see anything, to see a glimpse of God. And it may be in the hoping beyond all hope that we see that glimpse of God. See, by choosing joy because of the hope we have in Him, we can allow God to mold us and shape us and, and to point us to where we need to go in all circumstances and help us to realize that we can surrender everything to where it belongs under his authority. Everything. So as we position our perspective, we can realize that we are loved by our creator. We can then trust God's working in his life so much more so that our circumstances, they don't control our perspective. No, God's love for us and, and our love for him and his mission for the church, that's our perspective. There's power in perspective. So draw near to Jesus, choose joy during hardship. And lastly, number three is this, share your story. Share your story. Now, this seems to be kind of a no-brainer, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that hardships are a reason to gloat or, you know, boast in my hardships and to show how great you are in enduring hardship, right? Nah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's an opportunity to humbly remind ourselves and others that God is still at work, that he's not done, and he still reigns no matter what. In fact, that's what was happening with Paul when, when he, uh, and when others saw his imprisonment. See, his imprisonment, it, it was sharing the story that Paul believed in Christ so much so that he was willing to sacrifice everything because of the gospel. And everyone was impacted by the story that told. See, one of the best ways to share your story has got to be getting involved in an accountability group or a small group. It has to be. Remember, one of the main themes of Philippians is endurance and unity. But unity, right? Hear me and I say this. I say this in love. Being an isolated Christian who comes to church once a week to check off a box, it is unchristian. Not only is it unchristian, but also when we're not part of a, of a community that we trust ourselves and, and the deepest, darkest parts of our lives, we're setting ourselves up for a perspective of weakness. There is power in perspective. I think Paul would have drawn on Ecclesiastes 4 and this wisdom that it has. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. See, we must all be willing to come together as followers of Christ, to encourage one another, yes. To hold one another accountable, yes. 
and to live out the words that our Heavenly Father teaches. See, we need people in our lives that realize that there is power and perspective because there are times in our lives when our perspective needs a little nudging, right? Paul leaned on his relationship with the Philippians, right? But he also ultimately leaned on his relationship with Jesus. He chose a perspective of joy during hardships in his life. It told a story that has had a massive impact for almost 2,000 years. See, there's power and perspective. What's your next step? Bring it home. What is your next step? Is it surrendering your life to Christ for the first time? I implore you, we've got these connection cards in the bulletin. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe it's like, you know what? God's nudging my heart. And he's saying, draw near to me. And it's time. Don't, don't miss that opportunity. God wants to shift your perspective so that you can know him. Are you stuck in a perspective of worry or fear or even control? Maybe it's time for you to take a more powerful perspective. A perspective that trusts God no matter what. Maybe you need to draw on God's Holy Spirit to actually bring about a refreshing hope. Or could it be time for you to share your story? Could it be time for you to, in the intimacy and the fellowship of a loving community, submit to accountability? As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. I invite you to a journey. I invite you to a lifestyle where, where you can choose the powerful perspective of joy and you can let your life tell a story of personal resurrection because of the hope you have in Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, let's pray. God, you are so good. <laughs> We're so thankful that no matter our perspective right now, Lord, you can enhance, you can empower, you can shift, you can change. You can change and mold us into the people you want us to be. God, we're so thankful for the words that you shared through Paul to the Philippians. Those words from so long ago, Lord, are so powerful to us. They're so challenging to us. Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you take our hardened hearts? Would you take our closed ears? Would you open? Would you do all that you can do? Because God, we want our lives to tell the resurrection story. We're so hopeful. And we trust you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord through song. <laughs>